Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the podcast. Actually, the first of a few very special episodes. We are podcasting live from Econu or Econus, which is a community economic development uh, conference This year, it is in London, Ontario, and we are bringing you some of the excellent sessions as a bonus to the podcast. So I'm really excited. It might not be the the same audio quality we're used to uh, because we're here live on location and we're going to get these episodes out to you as soon as we can. So uh, this first episode is great. It opened the conference this morning. It's all about um, social enterprise uh, funding opportunities, which is fantastic and a new initiative that has a number of players at the table to invest in and make social enterprise sustainable for Canadians. So you definitely want to listen to that. uh, And I'm really excited to get you the next one as soon as I can. All right. Happy listening. Um, So I'm Sarah Leeson-Clem. I work with Subnet in Manitoba. Uh, and I'm really quite honored to be here uh, and, to be honest, nervous because this is a tremendous group of people, um, some of whom I've known a, w- a while and some of whom I'm just meeting, but all of whom have great experience uh, and, and roles to play in our current moment. So I'll just quickly tell you their names and organizations. Uh, we're not going to read their bios. You can find that on SCED or on the, the Econist website. Uh, so... Directly to my left is Jocelyn Formsma. Um, so Jocelyn is with the National Association of Friendship Centers. Um, and next to her is, is Sarah Lyons with the Community Foundations of Canada. Uh, Victor Beausoleil uh, with SETSI, which is uh, Social Economy Through Social Innovation. Social Inclusion. Oh, dang. I was trying to do it from memory. And Beatrice Elan with the Chantier de l'Economie Sociale. Um, and so we're going to talk today about social innovation and social finance. And to just get started... Um, I wanted to do a quick just poll, poll of the room. So raise your hand if right now you would describe yourself as a social innovator. There's a few. That's great. That's good. I think that's wonderful, and it's a good way to start. Um, so in Manitoba, as we start uh, integrating this language, we're finding very quickly that especially for those of us that are community developers, maybe more than we are entrepreneurs, uh, in that blend that we all find ourselves in in community economic development, uh, we don't use that language that much, and we're still trying to find ourselves. So I wanted to start there and just give each of the panelists a minute to introduce themselves and say a bit about how they come to be part of this. And I'm going to put my headset on because I, unfortunately, am not bilingual either. So I'll just go in order. So I'll start with Jocelyn. Uh, originally from Northern Ontario, my family's from Moose Cree First Nation. I grew up in Chapelot, Timmins, Moosonee, and have been living in Ottawa for the last, uh, well, last year before that, for 10 years. I'd um, now make my home in Ottawa. Very proud to be the executive director of the National Association of Friendship Centers. And for those of you who don't know, um, Friendship Centers are essentially uh, community organizations that um, offer a wide range of uh, program services. They're civil society organizations um, for urban indigenous peoples. Um, and by urban, we mean just you know, if, is campus casing really urban? I mean, like, off-reserve, um, outside the north, uh, Inuit land claims, or outside of Métis settlements. Um, we provide uh, a wide range of uh, a hub for communities um, 
living in urban settings. Hello, uh, my name is Sarah Lyons, and I'm a staff person with Community Foundations of Canada. I live in uh, Mohawk Territory, known as Montreal, and I'm here um, on behalf of Community Foundations of Canada. Uh, Community Foundations of Canada is the pan-Canadian network of community foundations, of which there are nearly 200 across the country. So something that's unique about us as a network and a movement is that, you know, yes, we're in all the big cities, um, but we're also in many of the smaller communities. Um, and, you know, we've kind of reached a point in our evolution where we do have a lot of um, an interesting balance between being locally led, um, building local assets and local connection and knowledge, but also a really compelling um, and active pan-Canadian conversation and network between organizations. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Victor Beausoleil. Um, Victor is a Latin word. It means conqueror. My middle name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Hebraic word. It means God is with us. And Beausoleil is a French word. Uh, my parents are from St. Lucia. It's Creole. It means beautiful son. I love to pronounce my name in that way, specifically because I believe names have power. I am a husband, father, author, and I'm um, currently the co-founder of SETSI, Social Economy Through Social Inclusion, um, which is a coalition predicated on creating greater inclusion, diversity, equity, and access in the social finance, social economy, community economic development, social purchasing, um, community bond, um, all these ecosystems that a lot of time require diversity and require um, to mitigate groupthink, but sometimes aren't as diverse as they could be. Um, so we've been lending a voice, contributing where we can, and really trying to focus on intergenerational collaboration, trying to see how we can learn from our elders and engage um, to better our economy. Uh, hi, my name is Beatrice, and I'm going to be speaking in French. You've been warned. Uh, bonjour, moi c'est Beatrice Alain, je suis directrice générale du chantier de l'économie sociale. Euh, le chantier est une organisation qui concerte des réseaux sectoriels, des réseaux territoriaux, des mouvements sociaux et des structures de soutien pour ensemble euh, promouvoir et développer l'économie sociale au Québec. So I'll stick with you, Beatrice, and start. We're going to just start with a very broad question. How would you describe what, you know, what is social innovation and social finance? J'avais euh, préparé ma réponse parce que euh, au Québec, ça fait plusieurs années que le réseau québécois de l'innovation sociale a émis une définition de ce que c'est de l'innovation sociale. Puis, euh, je ne sais pas combien de temps. En tout cas, je vais lire la définition, puis après ça, j'aurai deux commentaires. La définition du RQIS, c'est l'innovation sociale, c'est toute approche, pratique, intervention ou encore produit ou service novateur ayant trouvé preneur au niveau des institutions, des organisations ou des communautés et dont la mise en œuvre résout un problème, répond à un besoin ou à une aspiration. La première chose que je veux souligner de ça, c'est que une innovation sociale, c'est pas une bonne idée ou chose en soi, c'est quelque chose qui a trouvé preneur, qui a été approprié par les gens. Un des exemples que je donne des fois, c'est l'invention du savon, ça change rien, c'est le fait que les gens ont commencé à se laver les mains qui a sauvé des vies. Donc, c'est vraiment dans la pratique, le fait que tout le monde le savait et le fait qu'il y avait une pression sociale pour se laver les mains qui change la différence. Ça, c'est des pratiques sociales. Euh, donc, ça sert à rien d'avoir une bonne idée si elle n'est pas mise en œuvre. L'autre, c'est... Euh, et, et donc, pour revenir sur est-ce qu'on est un innovateur social, j'avoue que moi, j'aurais pas dit que je suis une innovatrice sociale, mais je me sens interpellée par des processus d'innovation sociale parce qu'on travaille à concerter des réseaux. Et parce qu'on échange des meilleures pratiques et qu'on les met en œuvre, on va contribuer à un changement systémique 
de pratique et ça, c'est de l'innovation sociale. Donc, je ne pense pas que c'est des individus qui changent les choses, je pense que c'est le collectif. Euh, ça. Donc, ça, en tout cas, ça, c'est la vision depuis le Québec, puis je passe mon temps, fait que c'est ça. J'ai d'autres choses à dire. Ça va venir plus tard. <laughs> Thanks, Beatrice. Does anyone want to um, add to that? Um... Uh, sure. Um, so, as, as, at a young age, I was able to travel a lot predicated on uh, my ability to elocute and articulate myself. I've traveled to Prague, um, throughout Africa, throughout the States. And when I, I'm asked the question around social innovation, I've noticed something interesting. Um, when you go to the East, um, social innovation is usually about doing more with less. And in the Western world, social innovation is usually about doing more with more. Um, neither one is good or bad, but I've just noticed that difference. And I think there's something very dysfunctional about how we organize um, our economic relationships as people. I think there's something more dysfunctional about how we engage with markets. Um, and I think there's something very unsustainable about how we currently consume. Um, and when you build with uh, millennials or Gen Zers, um, it, it's clear that young people are putting pressure on adult allies. Um, to find unique and interesting ways to solve problems. My definition of social innovation um, is usually around intergenerational collaboration because I learn a lot from my elders or folks older than me. Um, I have like three or four mentors in the room right now that have edified me and built my capacity. And when I think of social innovation, I think of organizing relationships, talents, abilities, strengths within an ecosystem, solving bigger problems with less resources in a better way than done before. And that's kind of my general answer nowadays. Yeah, hopefully that's helpful. That's very Actually, helpful. you know what? Um, you, you asked two questions, social finance as well. Sure. Um, in terms of social finance, it's clear to me, I'm predicated on the fact that there's so much tribalism sometimes and partisanship um, in Canada or just everywhere um, that social finance makes sense. And the reason why it makes sense is because it provides a social dividend and also an economic return which is really important because in a partisan, like when you look at the left, the right, and the center, a lot of times folks that are more right-leaning have this premise that when you give, provide resources in a charitable way, it should usually be done through a church, and it can't really be a socialistic model of just giving to underserved, marginalized communities to build up economies. And social finance creates a dynamic where if when I build with my uncles, because I have uncles that are very conservative, or because they're, the, they're in the states, are very Republican almost, and then I have uncles and aunties that are very left-leaning, social finance usually makes sense to everyone because it's so um, balanced. There's a social dividend and there's an economic return. So it's not just throwing money at a problem and hoping it's solved. There's actually some reciprocity in terms of how that money is managed, stewarded, and cultivated. Maybe just jump in on, on both things. Um, you know, for me, social finance is probably the entry point, at least for the foundation sector, you know, into this conversation because, of course, foundations are asset owners. They're, they're, they're piles of money, um, you know, that are intended to do good. And so one of our most interesting questions over the last decade plus has been, you know, as organizations that accumulate money and in a given year and a given period of time only spend some of it, what do you do with those assets that is aligned with your mission and that is a force for, for good? And, you know, people have rightly asked the question, you know, if you're spending a few percent a year and investing the rest in 
for example, harmful industries? You know, are you a net force for good? And so the foundation sector, for the last decade plus, has really gotten serious about thinking about what do we do with those assets at macro levels in terms of the industries we might be invested in in the stock market, but also at the smaller level. How are we making capital available in the form of loans or investments to community organizations, um, social enterprises, etc. So that's kind of our entry point into this conversation. I might just jump in and say that I think that's really interesting. Um, for a lot of us that have done some of this work over the past decade or so, um, it was sort of an interesting thing that happened to see this strategy be developed as social innovation and social finance, because I actually think what you just described is a great example of social innovation as the community um, foundation sector thinks about its own set of systems that it's involved in and that so many of us interact with, that that slow shift to thinking about yourselves as investors, not just funders, is actually a systemic social innovation that's happening in our sector. So I think for some of the folks that I talk to, that social finance piece is one of the tools of social innovation, which is a bit of a broader concept maybe. So so one of the reasons why I wanted my colleagues to go first, because I wanted to know what social innovation, social finance was. <laughs> Um, I would say I personally I'm new to to this space um, and I'm still learning the words and I'm I'm still figuring out what they mean and um, I, I think that's uh, probably a lot of people are, are are doing that too but when I hear about people um, what they're doing and and using these words when we focus on what they're actually doing I'm like oh we we do that as friendship centers and as indigenous communities. Um, and not only that, we've been doing that for a very, very long time. Um, it, it, so it, it clicks when you start telling the stories about what people are actually doing. So the words kind of interchange. They mean slightly different things. But um, when, I, when I break it down as to what we actually do, um, I'll, I'll give... I'll give maybe two examples, uh, maybe three if I if I don't get cut off. <laughs> um, so this summer uh, we had our fifth, uh, the we had our forty eighth annual general meeting for the National Association of Friendship Centers in Lethbridge, Alberta, at the Sokokotoki Friendship Center, and it was their fiftieth anniversary. Um, just to give a sense of how long some of our friendship centers have been around, um, and part of our youth forum, we went to the head smashed in Buffalo Jump. If I can think about social innovation and social economy and I think about how the Cree used to hunt buffalo um, I, I think that's a perfect example, right? Um, it's a community coming together everybody's got a bit of a different skill different role um, and to create a situation where like, okay, if you just thought about it like not knowing anything, how would you kill a buffalo? <laughs> right? Without any tools, without any weapons, how would you kill a buffalo? Not, let alone an entire herd of buffalo, right? You would need a lot of people and, and so not only that, like the, the event became a ceremony it became a time of year and it, um, and it became like a very important um, time for, for, for that community uh, to come together and providing for not just one family or not just one person, but for an entire 
you know, First Nations, the, the community. Um, and they also became trade items that they could trade with other um, communities um, in and around the area. Um, so I thought of that as, as like a really good example. Um, more contemporary, um, and I think, you know, people are doing it today, this is the fall season. And I know a lot of um, people from back home are preparing to go out on a moose hunt or um, the geese are flying north now and are preparing to go on a goose hunt. And um, again, it's it's a time for family. Um, people that go out, when they bring it back, they're not just serving their own family and and generating the wealth for themselves. It's it is a very much a very ingrained custom that you share what you get. And and if another family doesn't wasn't able to get a moose, then you share what you have with that family. Um, making sure that the elders um, get some of that traditional foods um, and making sure uh, now more and more what they're doing is engaging the young people in these moose camps so that there's that trans- transition of knowledge um, and the young people are able to participate and, you know, not just the the harvesting, but also, um, you know, working with the hides, working with the meat and creating things from the bones and, and the teeth and those kinds of things. Um, and then just lastly, quickly, I was invited to um, a potlatch in BC um, where I don't know much and I'm going to go there to learn, but um, from what I, little I do know is that the, the potlatch itself is not about what you can accumulate but what it is that you can give away. So what you're getting is not something that you keep for yourself but it's um, you have these times where you're giving those things away. And so when I'm thinking about social innovation, social enterprise, I'm thinking about how people have constantly had to adapt over time to new experiences, new um, realities, um, but keeping those core principles of whatever we get, we make sure that it's not just for our benefit but the whole community benefits. Stop the podcast just for a second. I just wanted to take a second to remind our listeners uh, who may not know that this uh, podcast is brought to you by The Good Partnership and Charity Village. So a lot of people don't know that both of our organizations are deeply committed to making sure that there are tons of great resources available to small nonprofits in our sector. And so I want you to take a minute to go and access some of those great free resources. For The Good Partnership, you can visit thegoodpartnership.com and specifically on our homepage or visit thegoodpartnership.com slash guide, you can download a free resource that outlines all different kinds of fundraising strategies you might want to consider for your organization. And for CharityVillage.com, there's so many webinars and, of course, the podcast, um, articles, the list is endless. And, of course, you can post jobs there, volunteer positions, uh, posting is free. So make sure that you are checking out both websites to deepen your learning and continue to access great free stuff. Great tips, Cindy. Now on with the podcast. This is great. I'm also kind of learning as we go, which is wonderful. Um, I think what I'd like to do is just combine the next two questions, looking at the the time. And so, uh, and so the the next two questions were about the more sort of maybe what some of you really came for is to hear more about this program that's been announced, that's that's in development and, and slowly trickling out there into the world, the Investment Readiness Program, which is the first sort of big initiative of, of the federal government's social innovation and social finance strategy. Um, we're all sort of playing different roles in that, I think. Um, so I, I think our first question, and we'll combine it with the second, is what's coming in terms of opportunities with this program? And then... Um, 
kind of maybe in light of that or additional to that, what what can we do to move this strategy forward um, or move this agenda of social innovation forward? Uh, and I'll throw it open. Does anyone want to start? So the investment readiness program is, you know, what I think of as the leading edge of the um, social finance sort of fund and strategy that the federal government announced over the last 12, 18 months. And, you know, if I can, if I can really oversimplify, um, it's a bit of a tilling of the ground across the country, um, a, you know, a stirring up of uh, interest and energy and readiness, hence the name, uh, around social enterprise. And so concretely, um, what's coming over the next number of months and over the next 18 months is a pretty significant packet of resources and learning opportunities in the field of social enterprise. Organizations of all corporate forms, so they can be charities, they can be not-for-profits, co-ops, uh, for-profits, that both earn revenue, so make money, and do good. And you know, we can have a long conversation about where that good comes from. Is it in what's produced? Is it in who does it? Is it in how they do it? Is it in where the revenues go? But it's really all of those things for the purpose of this program. And what's coming um, with leadership from a number of organizations, um, including Community Foundations of Canada, is the availability of cash resources to seed, advance, and make more investment-ready social enterprises at the grassroots level in community across the country. And so, you know, just to keep building on being specific, um, there will be, starting in approximately, for us at least, so there's a few organizations that are going to be making this money available, there will be packets of money, um, you know, I'll call them grants um, for this purpose, for individual organizations to go out and access what they need. So there's a sort of self-assessment and there will be support available around that to seed or advance their own social enterprise, either concept, development, or progress. Um, so it's really going to range all the way back from what I've been calling kind of glint in the eye we as an organization have an idea for a social enterprise all the way up to, you know, we exist, we already generate revenue, we're ready to go to a next stage. And so, you know, a couple of things to emphasize. Um, one, that range. Um, so, so one of the things that's going to be, um, I'll use the word innovative, uh, in this opportunity is that it won't, we are not simply trying to fuel the existing uh, social enterprise landscape, you know, just the folks who put up their hand and said, I, I have a social enterprise, or, you know, the sort of the incumbent community around social enterprise. We are also trying to access um, a broader community that maybe doesn't already see themselves in social enterprise. Um, and, and the second thing I would say is that, you know, this program is different than some things you may have seen before in the sense that, you know, yes, there will be and there are organizations that have been tapped to do, you know, learning programs and webinars and training sessions and all of that is going to be fantastic. 
But there is also the availability of resources for organization-led decision-making, accessing of services, training, pieces of work such as through consultants, etc. So there's a kind of organizational leadership and choice and a availability of resources um, towards what what you and what people in community think they need and want to participate in this landscape. So do you want to jump in either to add more about what this program is going to look like or to take on that next one of, you know, what, what beyond this do we need to do to, to move this agenda forward? Ben, je peux peut-être ajouter, euh, pour le Québec en particulier, l'argent va passer, donc l'argent que Sarah décrivait qui allait aux organisations à vocation sociale va passer par le chantier, mais le chantier voulait coordonner une démarche avec une série d'acteurs. Donc, dans les faits, on y travaille depuis tout l'été, mais avant d'avoir eu l'aval des autres réseaux et acteurs importants en matière d'innovation sociale au Québec, notamment le milieu communautaire, le milieu coop, euh, le, le, les organisations de développement local, euh, donc c'est pas encore publi publié, puis rendu public, mais ça va venir sous peu. Ce que je voulais peut-être, ce dont je voulais parler plus aujourd'hui, c'est qu'est-ce qu'on a besoin de faire pour continuer euh, dans ces efforts-là, puis d'élargir un peu les mesures, les ressources en faveur d'innovation sociale au Canada. D'abord, je pense au Québec, c'est particulier parce qu'on a un écosystème, on parle d'économie sociale plus que d'innovation sociale. Je pense qu'il faut se rendre à l'évidence qu'à l'échelle du Canada, ça va être innovation sociale, le terme peut-être, euh, en tout cas actuellement avec le gouvernement du Canada qui rallie le plus de partenaires. C'est important là-dedans qu'on situe l'importance des communautés puis de l'effort collectif, que ça soit pas juste vu comme des individus avec des bonnes idées. Euh, je pense que c'est important parce que le gouvernement euh, a engagé des ressources. On a commencé à avoir une concertation d'acteurs canadiens. On a appris à se découvrir, à voir euh, les, les, les choses qu'on avait en commun, puis à réfléchir ensemble sur qu'est-ce qu'on avait besoin pour travailler plus, mieux et échanger, euh, échanger des meilleures pratiques et faire avancer les choses sur le terrain dans nos provinces respectives et à l'échelle nationale. Et je pense que cette discussion-là, elle, elle devrait continuer. Euh, et je pense surtout qu'on s'enligne vers, parce que la stratégie, c'est innovation sociale et finance sociale. Euh, donc, si le gouvernement actuel est réélu, il, il s'est engagé à mettre certaines mesures. On, il faut qu'on soit là, puis il faut qu'on se parle le terrain, que ce ne soit pas le gouvernement qui mette des mesures euh, en fonction de leurs idéaux, mais en fonction des besoins des acteurs sur le terrain. Donc, il faut qu'on se parle, puis qu'on se mette d'accord sur ce qu'on veut demander, puis qu'on soit ambitieux dans ça. Si le gouvernement actuel n'est pas réélu, je pense qu'il y a une opportunité de montrer comment des communautés qui se prennent en charge puis qui répondent à des besoins, ce n'est pas un enjeu partisan. C'est une réalité que tout gouvernement devrait soutenir et de, de maintenir les mesures ou les engagements pris par le gouvernement. Euh, et finalement, sur la partie de finances sociales, je pense qu'il y a une discussion aussi à faire pour s'assurer, euh, comme on a dit ici, que ces mesures-là soient inclusives et répondent à des besoins, euh, ne dédoublent pas ce qui est déjà là pour le fragiliser, mais vraiment avancent les pratiques, permettent le développement de pratiques qui ne verraient pas le jour autrement. Thanks, Beatrice. And I'll, I think I'll just bounce off of that, that I'm really pleased that a big part of this program is is uh, is not just the granting, but is the set of, of tools. That's how SEDNET's involved, is to do ecosystem development in regions. Uh, there's a, there's, I think I'd encourage all of us that are part of the program and all of us that might be taking advantage of it to know that readiness doesn't just talk about the enterprises. Uh, it's, it's about the actual soil itself that those might grow in. And so there's also opportunity within this to, to really develop that set of tools, that ecosystem and the ability for us to connect and become more of a collective 
effort across Canada, um, and that's a big part of, of this program as well. I'll just um, I'll just add quickly just a little bit more practical kind of information on the program. There's sort of there's three uh, sort of areas that the the program um, is funding. It's it's the ecosystem um, people who are involved with the ecosystem doing specific things. There are um, expert service providers that are also doing got funded to do um, certain things. Some of it's um, developing tools. Some of it's developing or or producing knowledge and and sharing that knowledge. Um, and then the third piece, which is um, what we're connected with, the friendship centers, um, the NACA, the Aboriginal Capital Corporations Association, uh, Community Foundations of Canada, Chantier, and uh, Canadian Women's Foundation. We're actually going to be funding. Um, we we're getting the money to fund um, organizations. For us, we're we're only able to fund uh, friendship centers, um, but we're collaborating with the other funding partners to um, ensure that other Indigenous organizations or um, you know women's organizations. We're just working together to, to try to make sure that we're covering off as many um, different types of community or the SPOs, the social purpose organization are, are covered as much as possible. Um, and then I think there's also this other component, which is sort of this, um, to, I know the, some of the ESDC folks are here <laughs> and they're listening intently as to what I'm saying and whether I'm getting it right or wrong, but um, there's the other piece of it, which is the social finance fund. And so my understanding is that still in development, but a lot of what we're trying to do with with the investment and readiness piece is um, is ideally that by the end of it, there's going to be more organizations ready to to be able to access this uh, social finance fund, um, and and hopefully have these big ideas that are going to be funded. And um, we're pushing uh, the government really hard on what we envision for for that social finance fund um, and uh, and and we think that uh, you know there's a lot of opportunity here to, to do something different do something unique um, and do something that's really going to matter at, at the ground level Victor I'm sure I'd actually like to stand up for this section so if you can all trust me for literally 30 seconds 30 seconds I'm just going to ask a very basic question and I would just want you to raise your hand so all the black people in the room just raise your hand for me Wonderful. All the white people in the room, raise your hand for me, please. Wonderful. Okay, all the purple people. Pink? Any blues? What I just described is one of the challenges that we have in this sector, in this space. Black is a misnomer. My shoes are black. I happen to be of African descent. Anyone that's familiar with the term misnomer, it's an incorrect label. White is a misnomer. My brother, your shirt is white. You're actually more peachish, like a beautiful tone. If you understand melanin, you understand that we all have a varying relationship with the sun. We receive vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin D, but it creates a dynamic where I can call Mike my brother. Because there isn't a difference. Make sense? One of the challenges that we face is, when you look at these misnomers, it creates that division that's consistent. And when we look at terms like social finance and social innovation, we have to understand that sometimes with these terms, we have to unpack our own lack of maturation or um, sociological maturity. I met my sister Robin this morning. I'm not sure where she is right now. She reminds me of my Auntie Joanna. The way she came up, very similar spirit and energy. I'm bringing that up, and I'll sit down right now, and I appreciate you indulging me for a second. The reason why I bring that up is because when you look at the IRP program, the model that's being developed, we're, we're trying as a collective to solve unique problems in unique times. And 
One of the challenges that we face currently is, one, the monetization of social good, two, tribalism, partnership, and a lack of intergenerational collaboration. But most important, actually, you know what, I'll, I'll tell a quick story very fast. Who's ever seen the movie World War Z with Brad Pitt? Wonderful, okay, we have some hands. World War Z, great movie, it's a zombie movie, imagine. In this movie, who remembers the scene about the 10th man? No? Okay, awesome. You all remember it that saw the movie. There's a scene where the whole world is going through a zombie apocalypse, and Brad Pitt travels all the way to Israel to meet with a Mossad high-ranking official. And he asks him a very simple question. How did y'all prepare? Everywhere else got demolished by these zombies, but Israel was able to build walls and protect itself very fast. And the high-ranking Mossad officer said, well... Um, we didn't see in the, we didn't see Hitler coming back in the day. We didn't see other catastrophes coming in our culture and our community over the last many decades. So we developed a model or framework called the Tenth Man, which is very simple. When everyone agrees in a room, it's one person's job to adamantly rebut, refute, and fight against everyone else. And that Tenth Man model is what created a dynamic where they were able to look at things in a very different way. There, there, there was intent behind the impact. So what I ask many of you today, as you're going into this season of potential resources from the feds, um, potential resources from sharing and collaborating with each other, when you're in spaces and rooms that may not reflect the diversity, inclusion, equity, access of Canada, the Canada that we love, be the 10th man, please. Thank you. Oh, wow. Um. I love that for about a, about a dozen reasons, but especially because I love zombie movies. So, No, especially because it's such an important message. Thank you. Um, and so we're, we're coming to the end of our time. Um, it's probably clear to you that um, uh, I, expect, I suspect it is anyway, that this is really a space of emergence. Um, this is not a settled thing yet. And I think for all the partners that are involved in the IRP, which is the most concrete piece, it's still a space of emergence. Never mind that whole big strategy. And so if, it, if you, this is maybe the first time you're dipping your toes into this and you feel a little like, I don't totally understand what it's about, you're not, you're not alone. I think even for those of us that have been part of the conversation really fluently for a while, it still feels like that. Um, I would really encourage you, um, uh, I think all of us were involved in different ways, and there's a lot of people here who are involved in different ways in the development of uh, inclusive innovation. It was a report created by the steering committee that, that the uh, feds put together a co-creation working group uh, to develop um, recommendations for this kind of work. And so that report's there. I think it's going to provide a lot of the guidance for how things unfold going forward. So if you want to find out more, it's a great, it's a great tool to take a look at that. Okay, uh, what a tremendous group of leaders. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. Thanks to all of you. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.